Welcome to the GeoMob podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, be it for fun or profit. Welcome to another GeoMob podcast. Today, I'm chatting with Nick McWilliam and Mark Gillick of MapAction about what I think is a fantastic project called the International Humanitarian Data Package. I think you're going to love this one, and I hope that you're going to love Map Action as much as I do. But first up, let's get Nick and Mark to introduce themselves. Mark, go ahead. Uh, hi, Stephen. I've been a Map Action volunteer for six years now. My skill set is a BSc in cartography, a master's in GIS, and I'm a GIS database enterprise architect for Scottish Government in my day job. Oh, right. Okay, so Scottish Government. Probably we've got some shared contacts somewhere, Mark. We'll talk about that offline. Go on, Nick. What about you? Hello. Hi, and thanks very much, Steve. It's great to be part of this because I'm I'm an avid listener as well. My name's Nick McWilliam. I've been a volunteer with MapAction since it started over 15 years ago. And on and off, uh, an employee when particular projects have come up. And yeah, like Mark, my background's in geographic information mainly in ecology, but then some friends and I realised that a lot of these techniques could also be applied in a humanitarian context, and that's where MapAction started. So are you a full-timer at MapAction at the moment, or have you got a day job? At the moment, I've got two little boys, which is my day job, and two days a week I'm employed by MapAction working on this project that we're talking about. Okay, so... Mark, for the listeners who don't know what map action is, and if you don't know what map action is, I don't know where you've been for the last 10, 15 years, guys. But Mark, just give us a rundown on what map action is, what it does, how it's funded. Well, map action, first and foremost, is a UK based charity. And I suppose the clue's in the name, and we make maps. And we make maps uh, to support the humanitarian context, whatever that may be. But we also, more generally, carry out what I would call spatial information management. So that's your GIS, that's your cartography, that's your spatial analysis. And then again, more generally, it's just information management. We support a variety of partners. I suppose most visibly is when we deploy with UNDAP to a disaster. Uh, And that is generally speaking within 24, 48 hours of a disaster happening, UNDAP being required and then the call will come out for some of us to support that physically by going with them to the country. That's not all we do. Um, we also support the disaster cycle in its entirety. So that's preparedness, or uh, as it's becoming called these days, anticipatory acts, um, activities, and then the response, the, the attending a disaster, and recovery after a disaster, and mitigation which somewhat goes back into preparedness. So although we're visible mostly in the disaster space, we are active in all aspects of of the humanitarian uh, disaster world. The kind of people we deploy with is, as I just mentioned, the United Nations, UNDAC, but there are also regional um, groups such as ASEAN, the Association of Southeast uh, Nations. They too are capable of deploying to their own regional disasters and we fulfill a similar function of supporting them with maps uh, and joining their information management team to support information management in the field more widely. And yeah, and increasingly, we're also involved in communities 
and, and training up local capacity, smaller groups, in all the, uh, the skills and knowledge which we think are... Yeah, and in that regard, my pal... Anthony Scott, who, who I've known for ages, we've worked together on open source projects. And in fact, we work together at uh, currently at Aston. He off, he's gone out on several missions to actually do training and capacity building in strange, far-flung places. And great respect to him, you know, that he's even to, as he's starting to to notch up the years, and I'm sure he won't mind me saying that, you know, he's still keen to get out there and help people build capacity. So that's great. So, Nick, let's switch to this IHDP. Did I get the letters the right? Yes, I did. It's the IHDP. Nick, tell us, what is the IHDP and who's it for? Okay, I'll, I'll just state it up front. IHDP is an integrated humanitarian data package. So I'll I'll just describe the story of how it came about, because it's, it's quite a recent thing. And it, it really came about towards the end of last year, when as a geographic information NGO in a human, doing humanitarian work, we realised that the COVID vaccine deployment around the world, especially in low-income countries, presented a lot of fundamentally geographic questions so questions like how many people live in each health district and indeed what are the boundaries of those health districts and how what's the most efficient way of transporting vaccines to clinics is it efficient to transport vaccines from clinics to villages or would we ask people to come from villages and and rural settings to clinics and questions like these which are all deeply geographical and now, the, in some countries, these questions are quite easily answered because there's very good geographic information infrastructure. The context that we work in, we know that there are big challenges in geographic data like those. Data, might, data sets might be hard to get hold of. They might be incomplete. They might be out of date. They might be inaccurate. They might be inconsistent. And I, I say maybe. In fact, I mean they almost certainly are because we know from experience that these problems recur time and time again when we respond to a situation. So what we thought we'd do is define exactly what data sets were needed to answer the, the questions for planning COVID vaccine rollout. And we came up with a list that basically it's around population demographics broken down by age, occupation, comorbidities. It's one of those words that we now know but didn't used to know yeah. um, that, make, that put people on the list for vaccines, vaccination, um, information about health, infrastructure so where the health facilities are and where the health district boundaries are and then logistics transport infrastructure for storage and transport and so we we thought what we do is put these together in a get these get the best possible data sets to help answer these questions put them together in a package and make those available to the people responsible for planning and delivering vaccines in a country just to explain why this is useful or as an example I saw one presentation by a group group doing excellent work on accessibility analysis in Southeast Asia to support the COVAX initiative that, that gives free vaccines to low-income countries. And they said they spent 75% of their project time on preparing data. In other words, they spent 25% of their time answering the questions they wanted to with that data. And it struck us this is a massive waste of scale, time, resources that is not only it's a waste, but it's being duplicated between all the agencies using that data. 
So what we thought is if we made a package of data and made it available to all the people involved, for example, ministries of health in a country and some of the international agencies like UNICEF and WHO, who are the the major global partners in, in rolling out COVID vaccines, and also local NGOs and public health agencies, if if that was made available, it would save them a huge amount of time and expertise. And it would also mean that all the agencies were working with a, with a common data set yeah. um, rather than in, incompatible data sets and maybe even contradictory. So we, um, I think we're coming back, coming on to the question a bit later, but we advertised this to various partners who helped us with specific data and technical expertise. Um, we put together this package of information. We cleaned a lot of the data to try and make it more complete. We made it consistent, for example, by giving it place name codes, P codes for all the different elements. So all the re- all the regions, districts, towns, villages, and so on had consistent place name codes. And we gave it consistent layer names, consistent attribute names. We packaged it with tools. And most important, we put narrative on. And all, I must say all of the work on this was actually done by Mark and, and said, I think you'll be talking more about the details of this, and put this narrative plain language wrapper around it and published it. So that that was the data package in a in a rather large nutshell. And that was done for South Sudan. That was your test case. Yes. Right. Sorry, I should have said yeah. We we got funding to go to get moving with this project. This was against the background of quite slow international gears turning for geographic information support to COVID vaccine rollout. We got funding to get going. We chose South Sudan because it's a country with data challenges. It's got an allocation of COVAX vaccines, and also it's got a background of acute humanitarian needs. So we figured that any any data support we could do for South Sudan was going to be helpful. Right. As, so, yeah, that, that, that's why we chose it. Okay, so Mark, just tell me, is this just a load of data packaged together in a geo package or some other format, or are there tools and applications that go along with it? Um, yes, it is packaged, and it's packaged into a geo package and an Esri geo database. I'll come on to why perhaps about that later, but yes, it, it is more than just that package of data. Uh, as Nick alluded to, the data is enriched, cleaned, checked, so that percentage of uh, repetitious time is removed. But we've also included all the ESRI, ArcGIS Pro, ArcMap, and QGIS projects, so you don't even have to create those. We've also included some R and Python, very simple snippets of code just to open uh, the geo package in the file geo database, so that gets you off and running uh, a little bit, shall we say, with uh, with any coding. And um, one of the partners, AfriMapper, also wrote um, an R browser-based viewer of uh, the geo package in that case. So even if you didn't have a desktop GIS, you could still run a, a GIS of sorts uh, locally. Or, um, without any problem. Well, one of the things I was keen to include as well was data collection tools. Right. Because we want to encourage, if surveys were to be carried out, that the right PCOs were used. 
i.e. they aligned to those P codes we'd included in the data packet. So I wrote code snippets for uh, Kobo Collect, a common data collection tool used in the humanitarian world, Survey123. Uh, both of those rely on a, a format called XLS form, uh, or XLS forms, I believe. And um, uh, you also come across Excel being used in data collection <laughs> via VLOOKUPs, um, name ranges, and all that kind of bolted together. Um, so I've had a reasonable amount of experience uh, using the Excel uh, data collection system as well. So I wrote a framework uh, so people could take that forward. So hopefully we've joined it all up. You can collect the data if collection of data is needed in such a way that it's it's not guaranteed to, but should work with all the data in uh, the data package. Um, we also included metadata, a subject which is sometimes seen as boring, shall we say, but nonetheless, in this context, very, very important because one thing we were keen not to do is just put another data set out there and, and confuse the data set market, shall we say. So the metadata made clear where the actual data came from and the narrative we included made it absolutely clear what everyone did to that data. So there was some provenance within the narrative. And um, again, we didn't want too simple a metadata. We just didn't want an email address. And we didn't want the full-blown uh, metadata ISO standard. So I found an OCHA, the Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, they have a intermediary, they call it level two, I believe, metadata standard which was reasonably simple and clear uh, without getting too professional with it and putting people off. And um, the geo package was excellent for handling the metadata, I must say. It's got a, a whole built-in metadata table system, yeah. which we managed to leverage. So that was excellent. But you also used the Esri Geo database file, you said, uh yeah, I had to in the end because initial thoughts were, let's just use the geo package. Um, but then when I started trying to open the various versions of geo package and the various versions of ArcMap, ArcGIS Pro, QGIS, I couldn't get a consistent behavior. And it was driving me a bit mad, to be honest. And, and then I discovered that Esri, although... They do support the geo package. There are some elements of the geo package they don't support. And that was often associated with their geo processing tool right. box. And I thought, well, I can't really leave out the ability for those with Arc GIS Pro or Arc Map to use geo processing. So in the end, I opted for the two different formats. It wasn't too serious an overhead, but each of them has their pros and cons. Yes. Um, but who am I to tell people what one no, is? I suppose so. And a couple of times, both of you have mentioned P, P codes, place codes. Is this a map action thing? Is it an international standard, a humanitarian standard? Yes, it's a map action thing in that we we encourage it always and are constantly trying to improve their usage and widen their usage. And if anyone's ever used HDX, the Humanitarian Data Exchange, you'll see a lot of countries publish their P codes, uh, either as, as part of the spatial files or as standalone X file, um, Excel files. 
And all they are is a unique identifier, a unique identifier for a, a level of administrative geography that's common. And it's important that you use a P code because it is unique. We find in a lot of countries, if you use the local name, it can come in such a variety of spelling yeah. and language that you don't actually have 100% confidence, you know, exactly what place they're talking about. And I believe one of the classics is, you know, Santa Maria is a, is, is very common in Latin American <laughs> yeah. countries. So, I can imagine. Um, you have to use it. And are those purpose. codes now in OpenStreetMap as well? Not that I'm aware of, but I must say I don't use the administrative areas in OpenStreetMap right. that often. Okay. But it's a good point. You can associate a region's place code with a feature within it. And um, through experience, that's really important to do fancy cartography and also to reduce the number of features through something like a definition query in ArtMap uh, and so that your subsequent processing is is smaller without duplicating files, i.e. making just a file of one particular region that you want to, want to focus on. So what were the biggest challenges that you faced in this project? And maybe talk to me, one of you, about the technical challenges and the other about the cultural and organisational challenges. Maybe, Nick, talk about the cultural and organisational stuff and then Mark about the technical. Yep, definitely. So cultural organisational sense, in some ways it went, went very well in that we've got partners involved and they were really willing, actually. There was, there was lots of good, goodwill to actually help do this. I think because of the cause, the COVID vaccine rollouts, people want to be involved and to support it. And also because people liked the concept as well. And it was, we set it up so partners could contribute to it in little work packages. So that worked. I think what's challenging is what we're actually doing, what we're organizing at the moment, which is an outreach visit to South Sudan. We've, we've put this whole thing together on the basis of known published data needs, published by UNICEF and WHO, that is, for vaccination planning. But we haven't put it to the test. Um, it's published. But what we'd like to do now, and what we're actually planning and have funding for, is to send a team of Map Action people to South Sudan to talk with the Ministry of Health, to talk with the UNICEF country office and others there. So actually our big challenge is the political uh, security situation in South Sudan also COVID restrictions. We're working to overcome all of these. These are problems that we were designed to overcome, in a sense, in map action. Yep. So what we really want to do is to see how it can be used in reality and, most importantly, see how it can be improved before we start using it in other contexts. Okay. And technically, Mark, what were your challenges? The biggest challenge for me was really the deep dive I had to do into geopackages. I felt I really had to understand geopackages once, I discovered that there were some foibles and, and, and kind of issues with how they open in, in the various desktop GISs. So I kind of reset myself and went, right, let's pretend I know nothing about geopackages and just come in. What's the best way to create them? What are all these versions? What can a geopackage do? What can't it do? And what is on the roadmap for more enablement of geo? The package features and so that really was my biggest problem after after that it was it was it was kind of common sense really mm. these are things you do anyway right uh, in that 75 percent of time so let's just get it all into one zip file at the end of the day 
I guess for those of us who use a geo package just as a way of assembling three or four vector files, it's pretty straightforward and simple. It's when you start going out to the edges and including raster and metadata and... Yeah, and symbology and, and, and basically ensuring it opens in everything. Yeah. And it is actually portable. Mm. And you, you have to take into account quite a wide range of versions of software. Yeah. And I guess QGIS, each time it upgrades to a new version, that it, even that will bring some complexities in opening old geo packages and things like that. Okay, so yeah. Nick... I think a couple of times you've mentioned the partner word and you didn't do this on your own, as you said before. So who were you partnering with and why? Yeah, I mentioned the funding word as well. We got some funding from the Kaliva Foundation, which is a longtime supporter of Map Action. Um, and we decided to use this to advertise to partners in an informal vaccine support working group we set up um, to advertise in case anyone was interested in being part of this. and. The partners we selected in the end were the group that Mark mentioned, Afri Mapper. It's not Mapper, it's Map R, as in the stats package, based at Liverpool School for Tropical Medicine, French NGO Carto NG, and the humanitarian Open Street Map team, HOT, which I think Steve, you were involved in. Is that right? Well, have you done work, very some work for them? I mean, mm -hmm. I was certainly involved in. Phosphagy and Dar es Salaam, where we sort of had the hot summit running alongside us. And I've always been a massive fan of HOT. I think it's the most incredible yeah. organization. Yes, agreed. <laughs> and um, keeping up the Tanzania connection, another partner was the Open Map Development Tanzania, which did some verification work for OSM, which HOT had set up as in its tasking manager. And amazing work by HOT that's still ongoing in mapping some of the more populated but less mapped parts of South Sudan. We also got support in terms of services and hosting from Esri and Mapbox are doing some amazing accessibility analysis, network analysis, which is ongoing as well. And this is part of the inclusion of tools in the map package. Yeah, great great group of partners and still still working together and looking towards more more packages working together. So we've talked about this being the South Sudan being the proof case or, you know, the, the first time you've put this package together. But presumably South Sudan isn't the only country in the world that is going to face challenges in distributing vaccine to billions of people. Are there any specific things about South Sudan that won't be replicated in other countries? Are there any things you know you're going to have to do outside of South Sudan before you can make the, G the IHDP more widely available? I suppose all countries are the same. There will be administrative areas, there will be roads for logistics. Um, then the variation comes, I suppose, in the, in the scale. I think the IHDP uh, could be applied quite nicely at a very urban local scale, for example, as well as a national scale, which is what this currently is applied to. So every country, every context, every scale will be different, but the same general framework will apply. Right. Okay. And I guess 
some different vaccines are going to have to be stored in different ways. I mean, some vaccines have to be stored at ultra low temperatures. Some have to be stored. I mean, they all have to be stored at in, in some kind of refrigeration. And um, pretty much everywhere that you're talking about is hotter than the UK, I would guess. <laughs> so, you know, I guess there's that as well to take into account. You know, you have to, for some of these vaccines, you'd need special trucks and equipment to actually move them around the country, whereas for others, it would be the same kind of stuff that you'd move foodstuffs and ice creams and things like that around in. Yeah, very much so. It's not always information that's easy to get. You can use proxies to some extent, like is electricity available? Right. But um, yeah, I think in a way what that question touches on is that the IHDP concept is very flexible according to use case. So if your use case is a minus 80 degree vaccine, then you do a package for that. We include that in the package. And um, if it's one that doesn't require refrigeration, you, know, you, you take that out um, of the equation. Alternatively, the whole use case can be changed. It could be water and sanitation. It could be emergency preparedness. As Mark said, geographically, it could focus on an urban area, which a lot of humanitarian work focuses on now. So I think as you, as you were alluding to, Steve, there's a lot of flexibility in how, in how this can be rolled out. Also in terms of what's, what's included in the package, not just data, but as Mark said, tools, coding. It could, it could even include easy to use map series, for example, a viewer. Right. So it wouldn't need to be a technical specialist who uses it. It could be something that's made very accessible and available. Yeah. Until I read about this project, it didn't occur to me that there would be a geo context to the global vaccination drive. You know, it all seemed to me to be about getting vaccine made, finding a way for the less developed parts of the world to be funded in some format to get the vaccine to them. But of course, that's only where the where the problem starts. You know, you get 50 million doses of vaccine to Tanzania, and then you've got to get, or wherever we're talking about, and you've got to get them all over the country, and you've got to keep them at the right temperature, and you've got to know, like you said, where the people are, and where the old people are, and yeah. How do you plan a vaccine rollout? And and so much of this is geospatial. And to us, it's like we've been brought up to think like this, you know, so it's automatic for us. But in lots of these these countries that we're gonna we're talking about, it's not as ingrained, you know, and you haven't got hundreds or thousands of geospatial specialists who can just say, oh, that's an easy problem to solve. So I'm guessing that the next thing that's going to follow on as well is people like Ant Scott getting on a plane and going out to these places, firing up his QGIS and, or his ArcGIS, if that's what they're using, and say, look, here's the stuff. This is how we can help you to do this, because the data on its own, without a bit of training, probably won't make it. Yeah, I think that's a superb summary of the situation. Added to that is that the vaccine deliveries are planned to increase enormously during next year. The, the COVAX project has hardly started. And at the same time, the capacity, the geospatial capacity in those countries hasn't progressed a great deal for vaccine planning and delivery. So the, the need for this is potentially, potentially very big. 
probably an opportunity to just give a call out to any any people who are thinking that they might want to be volunteering with Map Action. Now is certainly a time to get in touch and find out about volunteering because you're going to need a lot of volunteers. There's a lot of help that we've got to get out to these countries. So before we wrap up, I know there was one more topic that um, you wanted to talk about, which actually follows on from this really, doesn't it? Which is about building capacity. Well, we've talked about building capacity, but um, Nick, you talked about a random thing, which I love random. So you talked about the map projection playground. Go on, just tell me about, you were talking about the map projection playground. Tell me about it, because I I know nothing about this. And in fact, I'm one of these people who's done geo for over 20 years and still doesn't think he understands projections and coordinate systems. Well, maybe maybe we could do another podcast about that to to make sure everyone even more confused. But I just came across this map projection playgrounds this this morning, actually. I think it's quite recently done. And, you know, back in the day, I would spend half a day working out the transformation parameters for ARC Info coverages, and it may or may not work. And now I go to this website by Florian Lederman, which I think is going to be in the podcast links, and I can just slide a bar and interactively uh, a central meridian changes or a projection changes and you can make things like go around in circles <laughs> okay i'm going to tell you something i think you've just given me an idea we're going to have to do a podcast on projections and coordinate systems i think there's a guy called bojana esri who does a lot of work on projections there and he did their equal earth projection recently and i think i need somebody to come on the podcast and explain projections and stuff like that to me because it is a world that I, I, I sort of, I understand enough to realise that I just don't really get it. So uh, thank you for mentioning that projections playground. I think we're just about there. If people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to get in touch with you guys? Well, our email address is if they want to talk to us directly, or there is a contact us link on our website, which is mapaction.org. Okay. And I've got your email addresses in the show notes, so we'll have those for all of our listeners. And I've also got a link to the Sudan IHDP on the Map Action Map and Data Repository, and it's also on the Africa Geoportal, if I'm correct. So if anybody wants to download the data, have a look at it and then give you some ideas on how it could be improved or what you could do with it, I'm sure... Mark and Nick would be really happy to hear from you. Guys, it's been great talking to you. Fantastic project. I think for those of us who are sitting here, double and triple vaccinated in a world, in a country with a damn good health system, I don't think we realise what challenges the rest of the world is facing. You know, countries where one and two percent of the population, if you're lucky, have been vaccinated and we're never going to end a pandemic in the UK alone or even in Europe alone. You know, we have to end the pandemic around the world. So the work that you're doing is great. It's much appreciated. Everything that Map Action does is appreciated as far as I'm concerned. And I'll just say this to all of the people listening. If you're sitting here listening to this podcast and you've got a spare $10, $25, 50 or even $100, that you could spare to support a really, really great organization which does fantastic work, go to mapaction.org. There's a donate button there. 
Give them a bit of money. Give them a bit of love because they deserve it. Mark, Nick, thanks very much for being here tonight. It's been great talking to you. And you, Stephen. Thank you. It's been great for us. Bye. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today and listening to the GMOP podcast. Hopefully you've enjoyed the discussion. Please don't hesitate if you have any feedback for us or any suggestions for topics that we should cover in the future. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, if you're not yet on the mailing list, please do get on the mailing list where we once a month send out an email announcing future events, summarizing past events, and just generally sharing uh, events that you may find of interest. You can also, of course, follow us on Twitter, where our handle is geomob. You can follow Stephen at Stephen Feldman. You can follow me at Fryfogel. You can check out Mappery at mappery.org. And of course, if you need any geocoding, please check out my service, which is opencagedata.com. We look forward to you joining us again at a future episode, and of course, seeing you at a future GeoMop event. Hope to see you there soon. Bye.